0: Howdy, and welcome to your dog's best life. Uh, the first thing I want to say is, oops, about last week, we, I, I screwed up massively, and I uploaded a podcast where I thought I was talking to Maggie, but when it came to reality, it turned out that it was me talking to long silences. Oops. So I just did fix it. It took several hours of swearing, but now the aggression podcast actually has two people in it, not just me talking to myself. So I do apologize to everybody who tried to listen to that and couldn't cause there's nothing there. So anyway, if you haven't checked out the aggression podcast from last week and you are interested, it is real now it has both Maggie and I talking and yay. So, uh, going forward, Today, it's just me again. Sorry about that, Uh, but I do have a plan, believe it or not, and the plan is this. I want to talk today a little bit about how what we say about our dog and how we feel about our dog kind of affects what we see in our dog, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it's important to understand that, to some extent, how you train your dog does affect how you feel about your dog. And what I mean by that is, if you look at your dog as a bunch of things that need to be fixed, then because your brain is very efficient, your brain will start making shortcuts to find more things that need fixing. That's how the brain works. Whereas if you see your dog as a bunch of things that you really enjoy and you really like, your brain will start looking and seeing more of those things. And the reason I bring this up is because I think it's really important sometimes to take a step back and look at how we see our dogs, especially if we feel that the relationship maybe isn't everything it should be. So, what I mean by that is is I had a I've had multiple dogs through the years that have come into my training courses, generally puppy class, sometimes adult dog classes. And I could tell within the first 20 minutes of meeting the people and the puppy or the dog, that the relationship was broken, uh, that the expectations of the owners were out of sync with what could be expected from a young dog or this breed of dog or this dog's circumstance. So a perfect example, I had a woman and, and his, her husband come into a puppy class with about a four-month-old I want to say Aussie Border Collie mixy thing, really cute puppy, and of course that's the puppy that it's going to light my fires, right? That's the puppy that's going to make me ecstatic. It's a little high drive little beast, super cute, black and and like blue merle bits and pro- pokey uppy ears and a sweet little face and just a little spitfire. I mean, he had a little attitude. He was kind of a shit. And I love that in dogs. So I saw this dog and I see nothing but potential. I see this dog. He could be the disc dog. He could, he can learn anything. This is going to be somebody's just rocket and rock star of a little dog. Uh, this older couple saw him as a tyrant. Uh, he, he wouldn't stop biting them. He grabs the leash. He chewed a couple of leashes in half. He was chewing up all their furniture, chewing up all their shoes. He was being a puppy. And as much as I explained to them, look, he's a puppy. You can't, he, you shouldn't expect him to, to be in the house at four months of age, loose with shoes on the floor. I mean, come on, what's the difference between a rawhide and a pair of cowboy boots? The, the tooling, I mean, really, they're the same thing. It's a bit of cow. Um, and, and I just knew, I just knew when I met this couple, and I met this dog that it was not going to work. It was, it was, this was destined for failure. And I honestly was shocked that they never did approach me and ask me to rehome the dog. Uh, I do believe the dog was probably rehomed. And I certainly hope the dog's rehomed because the alternative is that they just gave up on the dog and chucked it in the backyard and ignored it. Now, we can say a lot of things. We can be judgy, judgmental, and say, well, these people had no business getting this dog and blah, blah, blah. But it's going to happen to all of us at some point, right? We're going to, no one's perfect. And at some point, we are going to get a dog that for whatever reason, it doesn't meet our expectations. And we have to admit that. We have to understand that we're human beings and we are not perfect. And um, it happens. So I'll give you an example through my own life. I, I owned when I was, uh, my first real dog, the dog I owned, my, the first dog I owned personally, the one I went and picked out from the litter as an adult, I got it. I think, uh, I think I got her at 18 or 19 and she was what we call a truck dog she went to all the barns that i worked at and hung out in the truck and then went and was at the stable and she was a little border collie mix thing and beautiful little dog and i named her scrapper and she was the coolest dog she was a frisbee dog she knew all sorts of tricks that i trained her with and M's and goldfish uh, she was perfect around horses because she'd been around them since she was a puppy she was the best dog ever and I couldn't believe I elected to the best dog ever as my first dog. So she was never spayed, and I had a plan, and it was the plan that a, a youngster has <laughs> that I was going to own her line for my entire life. This dog was so perfect, and so I thought, what I'll do is when she's about six or seven, I'll breed her one time. I'll breed her to an Australian Shepherd, and then next time I'll breed that dog in seven years to a Border Collie, and I just keep going back and forth and retain half Border Collie, half German, uh, half. Australian shepherd. And I'd own this line for the rest of my life because she was perfect. So she did seven years old. She finally found a dog that she didn't uh, hate. And he happened to be a beautiful red Merle Australian shepherd. And she had a litter. And even though I had about 10 puppies spoken for, she had two puppies. That's kind of one of the positives of breeding an older dog. And I kept the female and I I found a home. Obviously, I had a bunch of homes because she was a perfect dog for the little male. And the little male went off and had a beautiful, perfect life as far as I know. The female, the one I kept, her name was Jessie James. And she was not born perfect. She wasn't anything like her mother. Her mother was arrogant and obnoxious and thought other dogs were below her. And she was confident and she owned the whole world. And she was a bit of a bully. And probably that attitude is what made Jesse James what she was because Jesse James had none of that. Jesse James was not the queen of the world. She was somewhat timid. She was a little worried. She didn't like my farrier because my farrier wore a hat. And she, for whatever reason, even though she'd met him when she was couldn't even open her eyes. She decided that he was terrifying. She would love to chase horses, which is a huge no-no for dogs living with horses. And she was committed to chasing horses. And she and I went round and round and round about whether or not chasing horses was appropriate. And she was actually very good at knowing that she could outrun me and sprint across the arena and chase horses. So I really struggled with this dog because she wasn't scrapper. She wasn't the same dog. She wasn't born perfect, and I think that often comes to us after we've owned a really wonderful dog, and we think we get another dog in there, spitting image. And and she didn't look anything like her mother, which is kind of at least one really good thing. She was very. She actually looked like a purebred Australian Shepherd, except for the tail. Um, is that we have expectations that don't match reality? Now, yes, I can look back on that and say, well, of course, a puppy was not. as well-behaved as her at that time, seven-year-old mother. And yes, she was a different dog. She, she faced the world differently. She, she solved problems differently. uh, Where Scrapper was very handler soft, which if I said Scrapper, no, don't do that. Scrapper would say, oh oh my God, I can't believe I offended you. I'm so, so sorry. Whereas Jesse would say, oh really? Let's see what happens if I try harder. And she and I butted heads over that. So I was the owner of that puppy that I described earlier. Uh, if somebody had asked me what I felt about Jessie, I would say, "Well, she's an okay dog, but she's got all these problems. You know, she she chases the horses, and she thinks the farrier is a murderer, and she's she's very difficult." And then it turned out that I couldn't own my brilliant idea of having the same set of dogs my whole life because it turned out the very first time she met a boy dog at the age of nine months, she got herself knocked up and we had to get her spayed and have an emergency spade because I wasn't going to have these hideous puppies. So, uh, yeah, she wasn't exactly what I wanted. Now, years later, you know, when she was six, seven, and eight, she was a fantastic dog. She was a wonderful dog. And, uh, she was, she was fantastic. She was a great dog. But she, she never was scrapper. Uh, she was never going to be a scrapper because my lifestyle changed. I didn't need a truck dog anymore. I didn't have a dog that I needed to drive around with me anymore. My job changed. I was a veterinary technician now and, and I didn't take my dogs to work with me. She was more of a ranch dog. She hung out. I don't think she knew much more than her name in her whole life. Uh, she, she lived a different life. But she ended up being uh, just a fantastic dog. But my expectations at the beginning were really out of whack with what I really had. And they were way out of whack for my training skills because I thought I was a brilliant trainer. I'd had a Scrapper and she was a genius. But what I didn't realize is that I actually put time into her. That's how I created a genius. And I lucked out with a really soft dog who did nothing in her time but want to please me. Whereas Jessie James was a little more of an independent contractor. And she really wanted me to prove to her that I absolutely needed this to happen. And she was a little more what you'd call stubborn. I don't like using that word on dogs, but I'd say committed to her belief system. (laughs) Um, If a behavior crossed her mind, like chasing the horses, uh, she wanted to do it. And there was not a lot I could do, she felt, to dissuade her from that activity. So the reason I bring this up is because I looked at Jesse and saw what she wasn't. What she wasn't was scrapper. What she wasn't was perfect. What she wasn't was a whole bunch of things. But I, because I focused on that and because I, that's what I saw for about the first three years of her life. She was the dog who wasn't, wasn't as good. Um, wasn't her mom, wasn't meeting my expectations. And that's sad. I mean, that's, that's sad. That was the first three years of her life. I mean, that's that's just horrible. That's appalling. Oh, I feel horrible. She's such a sweet dog. So, and that's not fair because she was never going to be her mom. She couldn't. She was a different dog. And obviously over the years we came to an accord and thankfully I'm a pretty easygoing person and I'm my lifestyle with my dogs, especially then was very hands off as long as she lived on my ranch and didn't eat my poultry. Well, at the time, actually I didn't have poultry because Oakley would eat them. Um, honestly, she, her expectations were very close to zero. So it was pretty much, it was easy for her to do well. And it was hard for me to over train or over, punish or over dislike her. She was so sweet. And the reason, again, I think we need to examine this is because we can all fall into this trap of seeing a dog for what we expect it to be and then not meeting those expectations and being disappointed. And and then we start to see our dog within that framework. Uh, Jesse's framework was she wasn't her mom. Um, I've heard well, my last name, the breed, wasn't like this. And sometimes my last was and this breed wasn't like this because you lucked out. <laughs> this breed is usually like this, and you got the aberration, and you need to you needed to read you needed to read the breed description before you bought this puppy. Uh, but sometimes you know you get a high drive dog that it wouldn't be a high- drive dog, normally in that breed. So, what we do when we're faced with this dog is it's the first is we have to recognize our failure to see the whole dog and our brain's ability to quickly reprogram us to see what we are looking for. So, if we are seeing, if we are looking for the things that don't match our expectations, we are going to start seeing more and more of them because our brains get better and better at seeing them. And as our brains become better and better at seeing the things that don't match our expectations, our brain becomes weaker and weaker at seeing the things that do match our expectations. So suddenly the dog who matches 90% of our expectations, all we can focus on is the 10% where they don't. And Part of this goes back to how we look at training dogs. And this is not about, uh, it's a little bit about training modalities, but not a lot. So bear with me. This isn't about positive reinforcement versus the whole west of the world. This is about starting with positive reinforcement. Because if you start with re- positive reinforcement, it forces you To look at the things that you want to see and therefore your brain becomes more efficient at seeing those things. So if I spend my day with my dog and let's say I have a new puppy and she's being cute. So I pay her because hello, cute. And she's laying quietly by myself. So I pay her and she gets a hold of a shoe. So I say, oops, I shouldn't let you get a hold of a shoe. And I take it away from her and I give her a ride or something that won't cause everyone to lose their hair. Um, then she's being cute and she got a ride. Now she's chewing on that and she's a good puppy. And later on she gets up and she starts sniffing around the floor like she has to pee, but I catch it and I, and I'm like, Oh no, let's go outside. And she goes outside and she pees outside and she's a good puppy. That's a different way of looking at your puppy than, well, he tried to get my shoe and he knows better bad puppy. And why do I have to jump up and not continue watching TV because he suddenly had to go pee and he almost peed in the house, bad puppy. I, I hope you see the difference. And I-, I mention this because I see a lot of relationships with dogs where it's confrontational. The dog and it's not the, the dog's not no, the dog's not the one confronting. It's the human so I'm going to give you another example. Um, I had a barn hunt class, uh, I don't, know, a while ago and, uh, a couple people were recommended from another trainer and the other trainer happens to use an e-collar as a training modality. And this is not about e-collars. So don't write me nasty letters. Uh, this is about how they're used in this particular case. Uh, the, the, and I'm an, okay. So an e-collar is a shock collar. It's the same thing. It's just politically correct to call it e-collar, but you can call it what you want. It's an electronic collar, and it's used in this particular situation. It was used by the owner, um, and presumably taught by the trainer as a means to suppress behavior. So it's a punisher. And uh, so this, this woman came out with a sporting breed. So this is a breed bred to I think hunt ducks or birds or something. And so this is a high drive dog. This is a very, very high drive dog. And he was, I think it's he was an adolescent young. So under two, and I'm not super familiar with this particular breed of dog, but you know, probably a slower maturing dog. So being under two is probably still pretty puppy. And I allow, I, even though I'm not a fan of prong collars and e-collars and things like that, if people show up to my non obedience classes with those tools, that is fine by me. Um, I'm not going to get into a big war with, people. it's not worth it. It's I, you know, uh, to each their own and, and whatever floats your boat. So if somebody needs a prong collar to get safely across my property to get to the sheep before herding, that's fine. They're welcome to do that. I don't want anybody hurt. And I don't want to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a scene. Uh, I don't have to like it, but I can be an adult. Um, once they're with the sheep, then they need to be in a flat buckle collar so I can step on it without ripping their heads off. Uh, same with barn hunt. It's it's you're you can do whatever you want outside as long as I'm not seeing anything you know horrendous. But inside, you know, once you're chasing the rats, the dogs are pretty much doing everything "quote unquote" naked. So there's no way you, we don't. There's nothing to correct in barn hunt. So anyway, having said all that crap. Uh, I watched this woman with this e-collar and I can tell when she was hitting the button because the, there was a little red light. And so she had the dog with an e-collar and this is an adolescent dog in in a big open area. Where other dogs are off leash, each of the dog off leash, chasing, running around, looking for a rat in a bunch of hay bales. There's sheep off to one side, and probably ducks and geese within hearing, and it's a young dog. There's a lot going on. This dog is acting exactly you'd expect from an adolescent working breed dog in a new environment with all this activity and amazing smells and he was kind of, or she was kind of um, excited and and a little bit nutty and probably pulling a little more than this woman wanted her to do. And so I'm guessing that that woman hit that collar to quote unquote, correct that dog, at least at minimum, once a minute, once a minute, that dog got easily 60 corrections during that hour. If we exclude the time that she couldn't use the collar because the dog was actually hunting rats. So, the first thing to understand is, obviously, whatever she was trying to correct never got fixed. <laughs> it's just, it didn't. So, obviously, the, the, the good news was is the shock collar had been turned down enough that it wasn't it aversive wasn't enough for the dog to change whatever behavior it was that the woman found offensive. So, what she was just doing is nagging the shit out of the dog. But, as I'm watching this, because I can see this little right, red light pop up over and over again, and I'm watching the dog's behavior not changing. worth one wit and i'm thinking to myself part part of me is thinking this is kind of the inherent evil in an e-collar is that it's secret and it takes no effort from the owner if she'd had a prong collar on that dog she would have been exhausted if she'd popped the dog with a prong collar 60 times in an hour And everybody around her would have started giving her eyeballs, right? I mean, no one is going to stand there and allow a dog to be popped with a, corrected with a collar every minute. We, if somebody's going to say something, if nothing else is what the hell are you doing? What are you trying to train this dog? My God. So that's part of the issue. And again, this is not about, I I don't dislike e-callers. It's not the thing. I think that in certain hands, I think they're incredibly powerful tools just because I don't know how to use them in that manner does not mean that that's not how they're used. But I'm going to say in a lot of hands, far too many for my personal taste, they are used simply to suppress behavior and they are used with wild abandon and inappropriately. And that's what I felt was happening with this dog. The relationship this woman had with this dog was completely confrontational. The dog did nothing right. And the dog was quote unquote punished over 60 times in an hour. Now, again, the good news is obviously the collar was turned down to such an extent that the dog didn't even notice and didn't give a shit. But what a horrible way for, to look at your dog. I don't know. To look at your, anything in your life. My God, if you complain, if you complain about your spouse once a minute, Jesus, get a divorce. Um, what the hell are you doing? I mean, who wants to live like that? On both sides of the equation, I mean, not only do you kind of feel bad, I mean, you feel bad for the dog. Luckily, the dog didn't give a shit, but the dog, it can't be good. It can't be good for a dog to feel that nothing they do is right. Um, I mean, whereas there, there were no, the dog was never right, the dog was always wrong. And, and like, I couldn't see what the hell she was trying to correct. I had no clue. If somebody had put a gun to my head and said, what is she trying to keep the dog from doing? I'd be like being a dog. That's as far as I could tell, what offended this woman about the dog was it dogging. It was bouncing and happy. And she found happiness offensive and the dog was offensive. And, and, and I just look at this relationship and I'm, I just kind of mortified and and I've seen it, I've seen it multiple times where even in my obedience classes where I'm going on and on about, well, you need to, if you're going to use you need to use the rewards and you need to use them all the time. And you need to, you know, all of this. And then I'll see people kind of jerking their dogs around by the collar. And, and it's just a confrontational relationship and they really don't want to use rewards and they really haven't bought into my system. And that's fine. I'm not asking everybody to change everything they are about themselves. What I'm asking is for us to be honest with how we look at our dogs and our relationship with our dogs. And if we feel that that relationship is broken, that we make an effort to change it. That's what's important to me. If you see your dog as a bunch of flaws that need fixing, then all you're gonna see is what's broken in your dog and what's imperfect and what doesn't meet your expectations. And I don't think that's fair. That's a shitty way for you to live it's a terrible relationship, and it's bad for your dog. So that's what I kind of see as good about positive reinforcement training. If you can get the owners to buy in, even for a little bit, is you start looking for the good, and that's what I want us to focus on. So here's the deal. Here's the challenge. I already admitted that I I've fallen into this trap. Um, I don't own every dog of mine is not perfect. Therefore, every dog of mine has not all my expectation is perfection. I mean, I want a perfect dog. Who doesn't? I want a dog who, who's awesome. And, and some of my dogs aren't. You know, they're not what I, what I want. So the first thing I think you have to ask yourself is, can this relationship be rescued? And that's, that's important. Um, if you can't be rescued, walk away. Find your dog a new home. There's nothing wrong with that. The reason I have the dogs I have is because other people walked away. And I got great dogs out of the deal. Um you know Cody came from a situation I am her fourth home. Um she she went through three homes prior to me and I she's one of the best dogs I could imagine. I can't imagine it's hard to imagine a better dog than Cody for me but not for those for three homes. Uh Dice is on his second home and uh the woman who rehomed him did a great job of rehoming him. Uh he landed in a wonderful spot. Now is Dice the best dog I could ever own. No. Dice and I really struggle. I really struggle with Dice's relationship with me. I think I've brought this up before. He's, for me, a very tough dog. He distracts easily. He, uh, very few rewards are strong enough for him to really commit to. He, the only thing he's truly committed to is an ATV, which is kind of a really, really hard reward. Um, he'll take treats. He's, like, happy to have them, but sniffing's better. Uh, he finds play terrifying <laughs> until he's until he does it on his own. But if I try to engage with it, he runs away. Um, Dice's relationship with, my, with me has been very hard. And over the years, it has been very difficult at times for me to remember to look at the wonderful aspects of Dice. Dice is a stunning dog. He is a gorgeous, beautiful dog. Um, If all my border collies looked like him, oh my God, we'd be a perfect picture, uh, postcard perfect family. Um, You know, Cody has wackadoo ears. (laughs) Tag has defective ears. So he's a beautiful, stunning dog. He is relentlessly in love with me. He is wonderful with sheep. He is eager as hell to please me in most circumstances, except when there's distractions. So there's a lot of really, really redeeming character traits about this dog. If I can grow up enough to look past the things that I find in him that are frustrating. And that takes work. It's not easy. This is not, I don't. I don't find working with him easy and I've had to make a lot of changes to work with him successfully. Uh, I've given up doing rally with him. He no longer does rally obedience because he just can't stay focused. And it's not worth the fight on my end to continue to try to find something that he values enough to stay focused. And so he's great with sheep and he's just a great dog to have in the house. He lays, he lays and it's quiet and it's sweet. And when you get up, he jumps up and he's up for anything you want to do. Let's go have an adventure. Let's go run on the ATVs. Let's go herd sheep. He's all in. So who cares if I have to give up rally, right? I mean, it's not an important thing. Um, He has a couple tricks. He loves his little tricks. And so I have to look at the things he does well. Now, the good news is I didn't buy him to be my rally grand champion. I mean, that would probably be a different circumstance and I'd probably have to reappraise whether or not I kept him if that was what I got him for. I got him for a herding dog and he rocks at herding. He's fantastic at herding. And yeah, we had to work at that too because he also would get grippy. He'd get upset. He he doesn't handle stress well and he he stresses up and then he gets grippy and starts grabbing sheep and So we've gone round and round about that. And now he's beautiful. He, I have some video of him working with lambs, which he used to hate and find terrifying. And he's beautiful with them. So it's a relationship that took work. It wasn't easy. It's still not easy. I mean, we've, we've been working on it for quite a long time. He will never be the perfect dog for me, but he is an incredible dog in his own right. And that's, a hard thing I think for sometimes for us to admit is that dogs don't have to be perfect for our needs as long as they're not destroying our lives. I mean he's not his none of his none of the things that he does are things that affect my life with him. I mean I'm not talking about a dog who eats in neighbors or um can't be trusted in the house alone or or bites people or anything like that i mean the the flaws that he has are are minute uh compared in the grand scheme of things you know the the flaw he has is that he starts sniffing and rally and that his heel makes him look like he's being marched off to his death uh and that the glass for him is not just half empty but it's what it's full of is probably toxic and deadly so he's a pessimist he's always looking for the other shoe to drop and it's pretty much going to drop on his head he never learned to catch a treat out of the air This is the funniest thing. I teach all of my dogs to catch treats out of the air. It's wonderful. And since I work most of my dogs in a fairly high state of drive, they tend to bite a little bit when they're taking treats. And so rather than fight with that, I simply train them all to catch a treat out of the air. Dice. The first time I threw a treat at him, he literally squinted. He squinted and ducked like I threw an axe at him. I'm like, dude, it's a treat. And to this day he's gotten he no longer squints, at least and looks like he's being having an axe thrown in his head, but he still like just closes his eyes. <laughs> it bounces off his head. And usually another dog gets it. I shouldn't feel so good. He did catch steaks, though one time. Apparently, if you throw steak at him, he's committed enough to steak to, to catch it. So anyway, it, it, just because it's a hard relationship doesn't mean it's not a gratifying relationship. I love having Dice. He's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful dog. You don't have to be perfect to... Your dog doesn't have to be perfect to have a wonderful relationship with your dog. Because guess what? You ain't perfect either. Okay? I'm not perfect. I know it. Um, none of my dogs... Um, most of my dogs are perfect, <laughs> but, but the ones who aren't, um, gets, you know, it's part of life, you know, not, we don't always get what we, what is, I don't know how the Beatles song go. You don't always, is it even the Beatles? Shit. Well, that was a close, total mess up. Um, you don't always get what you need, but sometimes you get what you want. No, you don't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Is it the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Yeah. I'll have to Google that. <laughs> everybody's cringing. They're like, shit. Um, so anyway, but it took time and it takes effort. And that's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. If you are in a relationship like that first, have an outside party, look at your dog and tell you all the things that they see right about your dog, because an outside party is not going to just see your dog for flaws. They're going to see the wonderful aspects of your dog that you can no longer see. If your relationship has been rocky and predicated on a bunch of what the dog is wrong, what's wrong with the dog. The second thing is to start looking for behaviors to reward. And you, you can start low. I mean, I I have, I have owners where the behavior that you're looking for is for them to take a breath in between demand barking. I find demand barking to be one of the most offensive behaviors a dog can possess. I, I don't know how people can live with dogs like that. Oh my God. Good for you guys. If anybody here lives with a dog who does demand barking and you haven't killed it or yourself yet or put in earplugs and ignore your dog all day good for you that is that is hard as shit to live with but there's a moment when the dog has to breathe right I mean the dog can't park all damn day at some point they have to inhale and there's your moment yes thank you for inhaling here's a treat or here's a whole bag of dog food shut up and don't bother me for an hour um look for the things that you can reward look for the things about your dog that you absolutely love look for the things about your dog that drew you to your dog in the first place maybe it's their breed maybe you like that breed maybe they look cute dice like i said is a stunning dog he is absolutely one that he is probably the most beautiful dog i own except for billy because billy's perfect and beautiful uh i mean tag's kind of dorky looking cody has wackadoo ears ketchum's A beautiful, standard-looking border collie. She's beautiful, but nothing about her is just like, wow, this is stunning. But Dice is actually a stunning dog. So look at the things that you like and go from there. Once your brain starts to see the good things, you'll discover that you see more good things. And the other thing is when you're describing your dog, try not to affix traits to your dog that define your dog. If I say dice is fearful, then what I've created is a mindset that is going to look for behavior that exemplifies exactly how I defined my dog. If I say dice is fearful, then my brain is going to say, oh, dice is fearful. And it will, it will store that away. And every time does dice does something fearful, my brain will trigger and say, see, he's fearful. So he could theoretically go six months without doing anything that's remotely fearful. But when he does it, I will, by God, notice it and I'll be annoyed by it. So be very cautious when you describe your dog's behavior as a trait, because it's not. Dice can find certain situations fearful, but Dice is not himself fearful. And the difference in that statement is how you look at your dog. And again, it takes work, right? I mean, we know we all do this. This is so easy. Your coworker is lazy. Your coworker is a slacker. Your boss is an asshat. So then every time your boss does something remote, he could be kind. I don't know, half the day. But the minute he looks at you cross-eyed and says something shitty to you, you're like, well, duh, he's an asshat. Of course he did that, right? Self-fulfilling prophecy. We've all heard that. So don't fall into the trap of seeing your dog in a light that does not adequately and accurately reflect what's really going on. And sometimes you might have to write shit down. There's nothing wrong with that. Or take a video. Again, I'm a huge fan of video. It's so powerful and so easy because we all have cell phones. We have these amazing video cameras in our pockets nowadays that I would have killed for when I was a horse trainer. And I mean, only the cool horse trainers had had video cameras when I was when I was younger. It was like, oh, you have a video camera? Oh, you're amazing. It was like having mirrors in your barn. Having mirrors is like the coolest shit in the world. So, take a video of you and your dog training. You might discover things about your dog that make you happy. You might discover things about yourself that make you horrified. <laughs> but be honest. Um, I've actually shot video. I shot video of I want to say it was Tag. I want to say it was about a year ago. We started herding with Tag about a year ago. I had to put her away. I wanted her to start her at 12 months, exactly one year. And she was a little bit of a wild psycho dog. And the hard thing is nowadays with the internet, um, you know, Tag is, you know, I remember I put her in with a sheep at a year and she's charging through me and she's gripping sheep and sheep are running helter skelter and it's like a fucking shit show. And I'm like, oh my God. I paid for this dog. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm seeing all these videos, these perfect little 10 week old puppies doing these massive little flanks and kindly start walking along and doing great job. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm already a year behind and uh, the pressure. So it's hard. Put that away. So I put tag away for a month and brought her back out, put her away for another month, brought her back out, put her away for another month, brought her back out. And I want to say about three or four months later, about 15, 16 months, I brought her out and she finally had a brain. But anyway, I took a video somewhere in that area after, after I decided that she was, that she wasn't garbage, uh, but when she was still very garbage adjacent and the video was, I knew I had Horrible fights with her that entire herding session. I think it was like all of five minutes that I worked with her, and it was just an it was just a catastrophe. Everything went wrong, and I don't even remember exactly. What, I don't even remember exactly what the drama was, but I, I you know I know at the end of the video I'm, I'm blocking the sheep and I've got my flag, and she's not giving me ground at all, and she's running through me, and she actually ran. I had the sheep pinned. They were all they were all wedged behind me, like standing one on top of each other, trying to stay away from this psychotic little dog. And we're up against a fence and I've got a flag in my hand. And I'm trying to keep her out away from me and I'm trying to catch her at the end. She's got a, she is dragging a leash, but I need to get close enough to her to catch her and step on that leash. So I'm focused on that. And my legs are spread because I'm trying to get low enough to, to have a leg. And she, <laughs> she, fucking ch- she charges between my legs. This is on video. She charges between my legs and grabs a sheep. And they all explode out from behind me like a flock of of geese and explode or quail and explode in five hundred different directions, and it just turns into an just an epic disaster. Uh, And I was so upset with her after this. I mean, I, I I was able to stop her and I I caught her and we put her, I put her away. And I was so upset after this video that I could not even look at the video for three days. I did nothing with tag for three days other than, you know, pet because she's perfect other than this, other than pet her and, you know, play with her. And, but I didn't do any training, no training. I put her away for three days and I couldn't even bring myself to watch this video because I knew it was just going to be an unholy unmitigated disaster. And the video would illustrate what a unholy mitigated disaster this was and that I really should have bought a different dog. And, and this dog is like a mess and blah, blah, blah. So three days later, I finally steal myself to if I drank wine, I would have had wine first. I finally steal myself to watch this this video of this god-awful catastrophe. And she was there was nothing horrible in it. Yeah, there were some moments that were suboptimal, obviously. <laughs> like when she dived between my legs to eat a sheep. But by and large, that that particular episode lasted less than like two or three fractions of a second. The rest of the video was actually pretty decent work. Uh, there were a few little combative moments when maybe she dove in a little closer than I wanted, but she's a pup and we were willing to give I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. And so 3 days later when I watched this video, I was thrilled and I was inspired and I went right back out and started training her again. And what I learned in that video And I've learned in subsequent videos is this almost never as bad as it seems. It always, at least for me, feels worse than it really is. And when you look back at the video, if it takes three days and a glass of wine, is give yourself some space to look at it. Yeah, you might give yourself three days. But it won't be as horrific as you remember because you, us, our human brains are, tend to look at what went wrong. We are an animal that fixes things. And so as an animal that fixes things, we are an animal that is, is looking for things to fix. So that's what I'm going to say is, is I'm going to say, give your dog a break. Look at how you look at your dog, look at your relationship with your dog and begin to look for the positives. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's it's an overnight fix. I, I'm saying it's a, it's like a hike. It's a trudge. It might be climbing Everest. It takes one foot in front of the other, but you got to start somewhere. And if you want to repair the relationship, if your relationship with your dog, if your dog is worth your relationship and you want to keep this dog, Which I did with Dice. I wanted to keep him, but there were moments I didn't. There were not. There were moments I was not committed to keeping him. There were moments when I was like, "I'm going to rehome this dog. He would better off in somebody else's home who can who can admire what he really is instead of looking at what he's not." If you can get past that, if you want to keep this dog, then you've got to work extraordinarily hard to redefine how you define your dog, and look at the positives in your dog, and give your dog the space to meet and exceed your expectations in certain places. I have some of the most beautiful videos I've shot of herding or with dice, um, working lambs. Cause he's so incredibly good at reading them. He's so incredibly gentle with them. And this is a dog who used to automatically grip them whenever he saw them because they just freak him out. So look at your dog. And if you want to keep your dog and if it's worth keeping your relationship, some dogs, it might be better to rehome. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, I mean, I've gotten some great dogs through rehoming. And, and that means that these dogs, I hope landed in the best place they could ever land because I, I love them. They're fantastic. Cody's, like I said, I can't imagine a better dog than Cody, uh, except for tag who's perfect. But and Billy who's perfect. And, but my, my, you know, Ruby, Ruby's a lot of dogs. She's a tough dog. And I think depending on where she landed, she would have had a tough go at it. Um, but I, I, she's a fantastic dog and she's riddled with flaws. I've talked about her before in this podcast, you know, she's bitten me. I've never had a dog bite me. And the idea that a dog lays teeth on me, my own dog is appalling to me. Um, and we had some pretty, strict conversations about whether or not that was appropriate behavior. It turns out it's not. Uh, She's reactive. She's explosive reactive towards other human beings. She can be kind of weird even about strange dogs. She could just be weird. She's endlessly moving. She has no calm button. You know, she is a list of flaws. And I could look at her like that. Or I could look at her as this is a dog who is willing to jump through ground glass to get to her toy. This is a dog who will work her ass off for a pet. This is a dog who thinks that every single time you greet her is the best thing she's ever had in her entire life. This is a dog who will turn herself inside out to please you. This is a dog who will chase a Frisbee until she loses consciousness. There's so much here. She's such a fantastic dog. That doesn't mean I ignore the behaviors that I don't want to see, right? I'm not going to gloss over the fact that she lunges at people. That is inappropriate. That is wrong. And that must be fixed. Absolutely cannot continue. It must be fixed. And we are working on it. And as long as I look at that as a behavior that I don't want to see, as opposed to this is who she is and she is a bad dog we can continue beh- working on the behavior because it's just a behavior. It's just, she sees something and she reacts to it in X, Y, Z way. And I want her to see something and re- react to it in ABC way. So I simply reinforce ABC and keep her end- out of situations where she's going to use X, Y, Z. And that's training. That's what we do. That's why we are listening to this podcast. That is why we own dogs is because we want to train them to be better and to fit into our lives like the perfect jigsaw puzzle piece that we want them to be. So that's what I have to say. I hope I haven't been too circular and redundant. And, um, I don't think I have anything else. Maggie is theoretically taking a week off, so hopefully we'll be able to trap her in a corner again and hopefully get a podcast up with both of us. I have some really great great questions for her that she brought up in the aggression thing that I'd like to explore. I think there's some fun things that we can talk about, so I look forward to chatting with her. Emily is AWOL because she's got like five jobs all of a sudden, and so I don't know when we'll hear from her again. I'm also tracking down some of the other people who've had to speak, and we have other speakers hopefully lined up shortly. So thank you all for listening. Uh check out the aggression podcast if you uh tried before and it was a failure, try it again cuz we Maggie's back in it and it actually is a really I think fun interesting podcast. So anyway, thank you all for joining us. If you like us, please review us, rate us, share us. Um, say something nice about us on Facebook or social media or whatever. If you need to contact me, I'm at Empire Ridge Ranch on Facebook. I'm also at EmpireRidgeRanch.com. That's my personal business. And, but you can always message me on Facebook and that's again, Empire Ridge Ranch. The business one is the best. I don't befriend people on Facebook. I don't know. Okay. That's plenty. Have a good evening or day or drive and I'll talk at you all later. Happy training.